This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Second reading comes from the Gospel according to Mark. It's found on page 38 of your Pew Bible. Mark 8, beginning with verse 27. A conversation that Jesus has alone with his disciples, and particularly with Peter. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Mark 8, 27. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, But who do you say I am? And they answered, Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that we may experience you in a way that perhaps is so transformative that we understand your nature of the Messiah and our place as disciples. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Every state has a motto. New Hampshire, it's clear, it's stark. You ready? Live free or die. Mm. Massachusetts is different. The motto is erudite, which you would expect. It's in Latin. In se petit placidam sum libertate quietem. Only took me 30 minutes. That means by the sword we seek peace, but peace only under liberty. Now rather than mottos, religions have creeds. Judaism has the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Islam, the Shahada. There is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. But Christians, over the centuries, have more than a thousand creeds that have come forth from this question that Jesus asked, Who do you say I am? The Maasai are 
people in the Great Rift Valley in Africa. Their creed states that Jesus was always on safari doing good. It declares that Jesus, when he was tortured and nailed, hands and feet to a cross and died, was buried in the grave, but the hyenas did not touch him. And on the third day, he rose from the grave. He ascended into the skies. He is the Lord. The Maasai know, the Maasai know who Jesus is. Who is Jesus to you? In this text today, we encounter a question that each of us must answer. We hear what is the nature of Jesus' mission. And we experience the nature of discipleship. First, the question each of us must answer. Verse 27, Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say I am? Jesus is with his disciples, and they are in Caesarea Philippi. That's 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. It's on the slopes of beautiful Mount Hermon. They actually have alpine skiing there. It is the home of King Herod Philip. It's a city dedicated to the Roman emperor, Caesar. Its citizens worshipped the Greek god Pan. You may remember the half goat, half man playing the pan flute. He's a force of nature. He is the expression of sexuality. In a place where pleasure and power are recognized as Lord, Jesus asks his disciples this question. Who do people say I am? Imagine yourself, middle of Times Square, and you're in this jungle of neon flashing lights showing you all the things that money can buy. And Jesus asks you the question, who do you say I am? Or imagine yourself in a crush of sports fans trying to enter TD Garden or Gillette Stadium to enter TD Garden or Gillette Stadium or Fenway Park. And you're asked the question, who do you say I am? Jesus asks us to declare who he is in a world of competing allegiances and desires. Verse 28, they answered him, John the Baptist, others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. Now in first century minds, they are ranking Jesus among the greatest of the greats in 1,700 years of Jewish history. They were comparing Jesus to their biggest heroes. It would be like comparing a very accomplished young student to, of music to Mozart. Or, uh, but is Jesus a rehash of someone who is greater or is Jesus the greatest? Who compares to him? That really is a question I'd like to ask you. Who compares to him in history? Who is it that has influenced more deeds of love, transformed more 
cultures, inspired more art, established more schools and hospitals and service organizations in his name than Jesus. Comparing Jesus to any other historical figure is well-intentioned, but it is totally inadequate. The rock band U2 has a lead singer. We know him by the name Bono. He was asked if the claim of Jesus' divinity divinity is far-fetched. No, he said. It's not far-fetched to me. Look, he says, the secular response to the Christ story always goes like this. He was a great prophet, obviously a very interesting guy. He had a lot to say along the lines of other great prophets, be they Elijah, Muhammad, Buddha, or Confucius. But, says Bono, actually Christ doesn't allow you that. He doesn't allow you off that hook. Christ says, no, I'm not saying I'm a teacher. Don't call me a teacher. I'm not saying I'm a prophet. I'm saying I'm the Messiah. I'm saying I am God incarnate. And people say, no, no, please, just be a prophet. No, please, just be a prophet. A prophet we can take. But don't mention the M word because you know we're going to have to crucify you. And Jesus goes, no, no, I, I know you're expecting me to come back with an army, set you free from these creeps, but actually I am the Messiah. The M-word is something many people cannot take. But what they can take is the A-word. Agnostic. Agnostic. Ah is the Greek word for not. Gnostic or gnosis is the word to know. Agnostic. I don't know. I don't know who Jesus is. I'm content not knowing who Jesus is. Give me the A-word. 2001, BBC documentary Jesus, the host, Jeremy Bowen, stated, quote, the important thing is not what Jesus was or what he wasn't. The important thing is what people believe him to have been. A massive world religion numbering more than 2 billion people follows his memory. That's pretty remarkable, 2,000 years on, end quote. Is Bowen right? Is Jesus famous like the Kardashians just because he's famous? People tolerate living as agnostics because they believe that all religions lead to God. Our author and pastor, Max Lucado, he likens this to claiming that all ships go to Sydney. Or all planes fly to Rome. Rome, Or all roads lead to London. We don't tolerate illogical statements in other matters. Yet people pretend that all religions lead to God. Because of the incredible magnitude of Jesus' claims, wouldn't we want to make sure about what we say we believe or 
don't believe? Speaking on the magnitude of Jesus' claims, Tim Keller likens it to receiving a fancy envelope in the mail. You open the letter addressed to you, and it's embossed in gold. And it announces that newly discovered documents reveal that you are the heir of millions because you are a direct descendant of royalty. The letter asks you to the letter asks you to call the appointed attorney who will meet with you to arrange for the financial transfer. Now, you may doubt that such good news is true, but given the magnitude of the claim, wouldn't you want to make sure Verse 29, Jesus asks his disciples, but who do you say that I am? Peter's hand shoots up. He blurts out, you are the Messiah. Messiah is the Hebrew word for anointed. In the Greek, the word is Christ. Anointed means that God anoints and appoints for a particular task and gives the divine power to fulfill it. Jesus is the Messiah. Messiah is what Peter acknowledges. But Peter's understanding of it is wrong. Maybe you have a time when you imagined what someone was going to be like and discovered that they were different than your imagination. I heard a story of a man who fell in love with an opera singer. Her voice was so magical that he simply couldn't get enough. He went to every show. He found himself falling madly in love. He began to meet her backstage with roses and love notes and finally a marriage proposal. On their wedding night, the man watched as his new bride took off her long, flowing wig and revealed thin, stubby hair. He looked with shock as she removed her and removed her false teeth. He could only think of one thing to say. Sing, honey, sing. <sighs> Peter, he knows Jesus' title, but his ideas of the Messiah are mistaken. Peter held a view that was common among first century Jews. The Messiah was perfect king, strong in battle, defeating Israel's enemies, delivering Jerusalem from the Gentiles, ruling forever in justice and in peace and tranquility. We read such a story of the Messiah in Psalm 72. It's true, but it's incomplete. It's incomplete in its view. And that's why in verse 30, view. And that's why in verse 30, Jesus sternly orders his disciples not to tell anyone about him. God's plan for his Messiah is something no one would expect. The question then each of us must answer is, who do you say Jesus is? Are we like Peter claiming that he is Christ, but misunderstanding his mission 
Therefore, listen to what Jesus says. Verses 31 and 32, the nature of Jesus' mission. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. It was God's plan to provide salvation through a suffering Savior who would willingly bear the burden of God's judgment upon human rebellion. So Jesus told his disciples he would be rejected by the respectable spiritual leaders, the legal experts, the moral elite. He would be killed. But after three days, he would rise. He said this clearly, unambiguously, much like Ernest Shackleton when he was getting ready to go to the Arctic to explore that for the first time around 1912. He put reportedly an advertisement in the London Times that said this, men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful. Honor and recognition clear. Unambiguous communication about a mission and the means. That's what Jesus gave to the disciples. He said, the Son of Man must suffer. It was ordained by God. It was not a stroke of bad luck or an unfortunate turn of events. It was God's plan. Plain talk of Jesus was plain scandal to the disciples. And that is where we now look at the nature of discipleship. First, it's misunderstanding. Verse 32. Peter recoils as if he's touched a hot stove. He rebukes Jesus. Peter takes Jesus aside, and he begins to take the part of a campaign manager, correcting his candidate's message. Peter thinks that the rights that the right steps for the messianic career are going to have a security detail and Madison Avenue publicity. He assumes to tell Jesus what to do. He wants nothing to do with a Messiah who suffers. Peter's not the only one. Christian minister John Dickinson once spoke on the theme of the wounds of God on a University of uh, Sydney, Australia campus. During the question time, a Muslim man rose, and he said how preposterous it was that the claim that the creator of the universe should should be subjected to the forces of his own creation, to eat, sleep, go to the toilet, let alone die on a cross. Dickinson honored honored the man. He said, you are intelligent, it's clear, and it is something that is difficult to believe. The man then went on. He said he could not imagine what it was like that God, the cause of all causes, could have pain inflicted on him by any lesser being. Dickinson thought for a minute. He couldn't think of anything witty. He couldn't think of anything clever. So he simply 
thanked the man for saying what's so unique about the Christian claim. And he concluded, what the Muslim denounces as blasphemy, the Christian holds as precious. God has wounds. Peter rebuked Jesus for his plain talk about wounds and death. Jesus t- and rebukes Peter. Jesus rejects Peter's agenda and he rejects our agenda. Because inevitably, it's set on human things, not on divine. To Jesus, Peter's suggestion sounded like it was from Satan. It would redirect his whole course. It is a stern rebuke that Jesus gives. Because Peter's suggestion is a real temptation for Jesus. Do you think that Jesus would not prefer the easy road to power and glory? Do you think that he did not feel the sting of pain and shame on the cross for sins that he did not commit, but that we did? Jesus was indeed tempted to shortchange our salvation by saving himself, but the divine mission of God could only be achieved by the Messiah bearing the cross. The mission of every disciple is to follow Jesus in his way on the cross. At this moment then, Peter ceased to be a disciple when he rebuked Jesus. When Jesus rebuked Peter, Peter fell behind and got into his rightful position. That is what a disciple does. So we are left once more with a question. Who is Jesus to you? What is the nature of Jesus' mission? And are you a disciple following him? I conclude with Bono's last words in that interview regarding the person of Jesus Christ. Quote, So what you're left with is either either Christ was who he said he was, the Messiah, or a complete nutcase. I mean, we're talking nutcase on the level of Charles Manson. This man was strapping himself to a bomb and had king of the Jews on his head as they were putting him on the cross. He was going, okay, martyrdom. Here we go. Bring on the pain. You ask if the claim of Jesus' divinity is far-fetched? No, it's not far-fetched to me. The idea that the entire course of civilization for over half of the globe could have its fate changed and turned upside down by a nutcase? For me, that's far-fetched. Who do you say that I am? Wouldn't you want to make sure that you know Jesus? Let us pray. Jesus, we would like to know. And we would like to get our rightful place as disciples. So we pray by your Holy Spirit you would enable us to see and to respond. It's in your name we pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org.
The peace of Christ be with you.